0: On Tuesday morning, I bring you an interview that is going to be simply incredible with Tony Durkin, who was the Queensland editor of Rugby League Week for more than 20 years, heavily involved with Queensland Rugby League during the 80s, the 90s. At the end of the 90s, he ends up becoming the media manager of the Brisbane Broncos with a plethora of stories there. The little clip I'm gonna share with you now, though, is when he was the Queensland editor of Rugby League Week in the mid 90s, and all of a sudden this Super League thing came about. He was the first man to get a scoop on it. He was the first man to publish an article on it and it all turned out to be true but essentially it was so wild when people read it that there was going to be a split competition that literally no one took him seriously he was realistically laughed at and ignored a few months later a year later all of a sudden rugby league is in absolute chaos this is a little clip from our podcast coming on Tuesday with Tony Durkin where he talks about how the Super League came about Mate, the 1990s Rugby League, an unbelievable period. We've spoken about so many, you know, all-time great superstars, and it's towards the end of the 90s that, or the mid-90s, that the game would change forever. Um, Super League pops up, and I I believe that you had a bit of a scoop on this early. Is that right? Well, I did, actually. Um, 12 months before, in
1: fact, March the 2nd, 1994 published in Rugby League Week a, a, a story entitled World Series League. <laughs> now, I'd, I'd heard a whisper that something was going on, that the Broncos were unhappy uh, with the New South Wales Rugby League hierarchy, of mostly of Ken Arthurson and, and John Quayle. And uh, let's not beat around the bush, they had lots of blues back in those days. The Broncos started to become successful, started to generate big crowds and lots of money and all that type of all that type of thing, and and uh, maybe got a bit bit big for their boots, uh, and the New South Wales Rugby League hierarchy said, come on boys, this is our competition, not yours, stand back, stand back, do all this type of thing. John Rebo, in fact, was was on a committee, some, some special committee, <laughs> he was the chief executive of the Broncos, and for, for seemingly for no particular reason, he was told he was no longer on that committee, and... Um, anyway, I'd heard, I'd heard some whispers that the Broncos weren't happy. <clears throat> so one Sunday, I'm in my office and I thought I'll give uh, I'll give John Reeve a ring and see if there's anything in this. And I rang him and he said, "I'll leave him out of that. Go. I'm, I'm not going to get into that one." I said, "Well, I'm going to do something on it, mate. So you know, I've got I've got a I've got an inkling that something's happening. What do you think I should do?" He said, "Ring Porky." Now Porky was Paul Morgan, who at the time was the chairman of the Broncos. So I ring Paul, Paul Morgan at home, which you do in those days. You ring these people at home. His wife, Sue Ellen, answers the phone. said, oh, Tony, Paul's going to love you. He's out in the garden pruning roses, which he absolutely hates. I'll go and get him. So Sue Ellen goes out to get Porky. Porky comes in and says, oh, thanks, mate. That's good. He got me out of that job. And uh, he unloaded on the condition that uh, I don't mention his name. All the information he gave me I could use. As long as I didn't mention his name, and and uh, you know, it was it, that was what they were planning. They 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 wanted to instigate some kind of a competition uh, as a breakaway competition, something along the lines of um, you know the NFL in in America, and uh, so that was the germ for Super League. Which, of course, the news broke 12 months later, and in hindsight. Um, it may have been for the betterment of the game, I'm not sure, but at the time it was just a wreck, an absolute wreck. There were people who loved the game, who probably have never watched another game of rugby league since, and it, split the, it just split the competition down the middle, literally, and uh, as far as the fans were concerned as well, it was, it was horrible there for a while.
0: Mate, I imagine when his wife uh, you know, pulled him onto the phone that day and he started unloading all that, all that information for you, that must have been Christmas Day for a journo.
1: Oh, it was Christmas Day all right it was it was it was pretty nice. if I was honest if I'm honest I'm probably a little disappointed that that story didn't get as much recognition as it probably deserved because I think people uh, 12 months before Super League actually uh, came into being thought it was probably pie in the sky that these blokes were having themselves on that there's no way in the world that they could they could bust up a competition as strong as the uh, New South Wales Rugby League competition so uh, no, it was good. I enjoyed riding it, I must say, and um, and you know, my opinion uh, kind of backed them a little bit because I was pretty close to both sides of the fence, and I could see that uh, the Broncos were moving pretty quickly, and probably the uh, the authorities were thinking, "Well, hang on a minute, hold back, boys. We're not going as quick as you are."
0: Did you get much pushback from that article, mate? Or or did people just sort of think it was too it was too far fetched to be a reality? Yeah,
1: I, I think I think the latter that that people thought. Yeah, these boats are dreaming. Uh, they, they've become too big for their boots. They're too powerful, or they think they're too powerful. It's not going to happen. But once uh, Rupert Murdoch got involved, well, it happened all right.
0: So when you wrote that article and you put it out in, in your heart, did you think that was actually going to occur? Like it was going to unfold the way that, um, the, the, that Porky had painted a picture for you.
1: I knew that they weren't going to surrender, put it that way, whether it was going to develop, uh, to the stage where it developed. Uh, I couldn't say whether I was sure of that or not, but I knew these four guys and I knew that they were being frustrated. See, one of the things that people don't understand was that they were being sponsored by Power Brewing. Now, this Power Brewing, uh, a bloke called Bernie Power started Power Brewing around the same time as the Broncos were born. Now, before Power Brewing had even had a beer on the market, Bernie Power, who was, I must say, friends and business associates with the four guys who owned the Broncos, put up $1 million a year sponsorship for the Broncos, major sponsorship for the Broncos, before he had a beer on the market.
0: Wow. And so, a, mil- a million dollars back then too. million
1: dollars back then. so um, B- 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 John Rebo, the CEO of the Broncos back then, said to Bernie Power, geez, mate, I hope your beer's okay. And Bernie Power said, "And I hope your footy team's okay." <laughs> See, no, the Broncos hadn't hadn't played a game, and Bernie Power hadn't brewed a beer. So, but that that's the gamble that these people took, and 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 the, they couldn't even sell their beer at uh, at at the old Lang Park Stadium because it was controlled by Castle and Forex. So the only beer that could be sold at the ground was Forex. Yet the team was sponsored by Power Brewing. You know, Power's beer. So it was. It was very convoluted, very difficult, and lots of hurdles to get over. And I think the, the, the four directors said, we've got to control our own destiny here, so this is what we're going to do.
2: it.